If you watch Dragon's Den, you may already know about Remix Snacks. They make healthy chocolate bars based on plant-based protein. We'll get to my interview with the founders in a second, but first, here's a brief clip from their episode on Dragon's Den in 2018. Hi, Dragons. My name's Isabel. I'm Jamie. We're from Markham, Ontario, and we're the co-founders of Remixed. We're here today to ask you for $25,000 in exchange for 20% of our company. So what Remix does is we transform the concept of trail mix. And instead of nuts, we include dehydrated apples that are from supermarkets, which normally can't be sold uh, due to physical imperfections, and dehydrated beans. We then take this mixture, drizzle them with a little bit of dark chocolate, and we make our product bean bark. And so with that, we invite you dragons to join our healthy snacking revolution. It's the movement you've been looking for. (laughs) This is Made at McGill, an origin story podcast about McGill University's makers, aka entrepreneurs and innovators. How did these students, researchers, and alumni figure out how to make the world a better place? Well, it's complicated, but keep listening. It's a good story. This show is brought to you by the Miguel Dobson Center for Entrepreneurship. Our mission is to inspire, teach, and develop world-class entrepreneurs. You can learn more at miguel.ca slash dobson. This episode is brought to you by Interac, Canada's leading payment brand. Interac has chosen an average of 16 million times daily to pay and exchange money. To learn more, visit interac.ca. I'm your host, Mo Akif, and on today's show, our guests are Jamie Lee and Isabel Lam. They're both registered dietitians that graduated from McGill, and together they founded Remix Snacks, taking on the challenge of creating delicious snacks that combine the delicate taste of fine dark chocolate with the nutritional benefits of their favorite plant-based protein, beans. They have a double-sided mission of making snacks healthier and protecting the environment. Our conversation spans across their founding story, how McGill helped them, and their experience behind the scenes on Dragon's Den. They also share their insights on the consumer packaged goods industry, how to iterate on taste, and what they'd do differently if they had to restart their company, say, tomorrow. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Jamie and Isabel. What is the story that you tell friends and family when it comes to how you guys built this business and why you started so when we first started or had the idea of building this product um it was actually preparing for the dobson cup which is mcgill's startup competition uh and so a couple years back we also had a cookie jar business where we would make recipes cookie recipes and uh, fill it into a jar and so we kind of had that uh, entrepreneurship kind of spirit in us and so when the Dobson Cup rolled around we were like okay it's our last year of university we kind of want to make the best of out of our last year out of what McGill can give us Um, and we had a couple of friends that also did uh, the Dobson Cup already so we were like okay why not we do it together we think we would be great business partners Uh, we were actually roommates at the time as well So (laughs) so it was very easy to kind of collaborate exchange ideas you know meetings would be me knocking on her bedroom door and being (laughs) like hey let me run this idea over you Um, and so that's how it really started and so we came up with an idea to apply for the Dobson Cup and were you guys on Mac campus at the time 
Yeah, yes. we were. Yeah. We studied dietetics, so we always went back and forth from like downtown to Mac through the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what role did what did you guys study again? Uh, dietetics. 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 What role did the dietetics department at McGill help uh, like play in developing Remix? Did they help you in any way? Um, I guess through our studies and the different courses, it kind of gave us an idea of what food product we wanted to develop and Mm -hmm. what void we wanted to fill in the industry. Um, Beyond that, we kind of did like the product development on our side and had a few profs and a few different mentors in the faculty kind of give us feedback. But yeah, they they kind of, I guess, nurtured us in a way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was nothing that was really direct? Like, was there a class... No, not a specific class. There no. was no, yeah, there was no class. But I can, we can say that um, the concept of using beans really came from kind of nutritional knowledge. We always said it was the year of the pulses okay. um, from Dietitians of Canada that year, and so it was really emphasized. You know, plant-based proteins is a new upcoming trend. Uh, things like that, incorporating it in different foods. Um, so that's how we first came up with a trail mix. So back then, it was a trail mix, um, actually made out of beans before it became a chocolate bar. Um, and so that's how we kind of came up with the idea was through what we learned in class. And then we had like a global food security course that talked a little bit about food waste and how uh, it had like a really big impact on the environment. So that kind of sparked the other side of our mission. Okay, uh, tell us the story of how and why you pivoted from trail mix to a bar. Um, through customer feedback, actually. So at the beginning, because it was a new product, we tried testing it with, like, different friends and family, people in the Mac community, and, like, the biggest feedback we got was something was missing. Like, it just didn't feel right, and everyone likes chocolate. Well, most people. <laughs> so we were like, okay, why not use that as a binder to kind of bring everything together? And then after after adding that, people were like, yeah, like, this makes a lot more sense. So that's mm-hmm. why we made the pivot. And it was a, a lot easier to sell at this point instead of saying, here's a snack that has beans. And people are like, OK, I've never heard of that before. Um, instead of um, putting it in a way that it sounds like it's a normal, you know, it's a chocolate bar. But the differentiating factor we have is the fact that we add in beans. You know, it's high fiber, it's high protein, high iron um, because of it. And then we also add in fruit. So we sell it as a chocolate bar essentially now. Um, And we didn't have that strategy before. But it really, in terms of customer acceptance, it really changed the game for us. How did you test this on a small scale before making like this big decision? We did a lot of markets, farmers markets. So this was right after Dobson Cup. Uh, we did the Concordia farmers market, the McGill farmers market. So we were always on McTav, excuse me, McTavish Street, um, doing the food markets. And then we did events, we did demos. We tried to get out there as much as we can ourselves, so we can talk to people and see what people think and what they like, what they dislike. And then that's how we took the customer feedback to apply it back on our end. Okay. Um, Dragon's Den Um, so obviously you guys were on the show can you recap for people what you guys were offered the decision you made and then the aftermath yeah Yeah. for sure okay so there was a whole like whirlwind leading up to the show because it was at the same time as Dobson so we were like pitching to Dobson, pitching to Dragon's Den, um, doing that whole shebang at the same time. And then eventually we filmed for it in May. And the, sh- uh, the offer that we did receive was 30% of our company for 25 k 
Um, and that's what we had put up because we were such a small company at the beginning. And everyone was like, you have to give a lot in order for them to accept you. Um, and then ultimately, in the end, after doing a lot of like due diligence, uh, some of the offer components had changed. And after discussing, we realized it wasn't the best fit for us. And so we decided to not move forward with it. But um, through that, we did get like a lot of marketing exposure across Canada. It really helped to build our brand, especially in the first like six months of our our start. So, yeah, it was like basically free marketing, free national TV. <coughs> yeah, it was a good experience for us. Um, people started talking, and and our sales went up in terms of uh, e-commerce at that time. So every time it re because it re-airs every couple of months, and every time re it re-airs, we see a, oh, a nice spike, a spike in sales. Yeah, yeah. and then um, after after the whole, you know, we even had a viewing for it, like an airing. Um, that uh, one of our our our, our good friends or mentors um, organized for us, and so we had a little bit of coverage there, and then. Um, every time it airs, we we have discounts and stuff like that. So it's still where I think we're still on that train of Dragon's Den. We're still riding it it's, a little. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's um, not that long ago. It aired January of 2019, but when we filmed it, it was May of 2018. So for us, it feels okay. like a long time yeah. ago. But they also just aired it on Netflix. So like a new spike of people being like, mm -hmm. "Oh my god, I saw you on Netflix!" And we're like, "Whoa, wait, what?" Um, well, wait, what? <laughs> tell us, like, uh, how does this work? We can go on Netflix and then yeah, click absolutely. Dragon's so Den. it's on CBC, and then also Netflix aired the whole season. Was it twelve? Yeah, yeah season, season 12, twelve that we episode aired episode thirteen. Um, so we got a huge, nice spike in September, and I guess we're like on Netflix for a little bit now, so that's cool. <laughs> Actually, I think it's the other way around. I think it's season thirteen, uh, episode, episode twelve. 12. Um, but if you even Google us. You, we, the the air will come out. Yeah, yeah. it's always the, a nice conversation starter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do your friends and family say when you tell them, "Oh, you can check me out on Netflix"? That's very different from checking me out on YouTube because it's true. YouTube, oh, yes. the barrier to entry is way lower. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Well, they all had all seen it like when it first aired, so the the Netflix oh, right. kind of way was more so people who had heard about it from friends of friends or friends of mm -hmm. our family. So. They want to watch it again yeah. or recorded it again <laughs> okay yeah if you guys could go back to the day that you were there recording the show is there anything you would have done differently honestly probably not i think we prepared a lot for that yeah. day we because we lived together every dinner we had marathons of watching like <laughs> oh. dragon's den marathons we had like a nice like google doc of what questions could they possibly ask us yeah from the past i think five seasons <laughs> yeah so we watched it all episodes again and again and again we noted down the questions we were like okay if they ask this we say this if yeah. they ask that we uh, we say we say that um so we practiced a lot like we could probably at that time say it in our dreams like say it in our sleep <laughs> um we actually dreamed about it and <laughs> that's how intense it was yeah it was a very intense period and at the same time we were still in school so we had our internships uh, from dietetics it was like a full-time job from nine to five and then at night we would spend time to do this yeah. do you remember the dream no any of the specific <laughs> dreams is, but no okay. <laughs> probably it's just like in front of the stage in front of all the dragons like staring back at them <laughs> okay but yeah it was fun it was fun okay so you guys entered this 
industry, I guess, what would you call it? CPG? Consumer Packaged yeah, Goods? Yeah, food that industry. Is, okay. yeah. How does this industry work? If you were explaining it to a beginner who was thinking about entering, the, it, what would you tell them about how it works? Um, I think the biggest thing that we really learned when we first entered was how competitive the industry was because there's so many different people coming up with different food products, most often than not with similar properties. So it's like what makes you stand out amongst the hundreds and thousands of other companies in the industry. So we quickly learned like, you know, we really have to put our def- differentiator out there and, and start with that when we talk to people, when we try to pitch it to uh, different distributors. Yeah, and I would say also, like, hustling is really key in terms of, like, another differentiating factor is that we're doing it faster than they are. You know, maybe they're spent taking their time while we're knocking on doors, doing cold cold calls and cold sales and cold meetings, um, trying to get people's attention. And that's really how we started off in the beginning was doing that and going to as many events as we can. So really networking is super important mm-hmm. um, in order to get your name out there and for people to recognize you, be able to introduce you to, you know, hire people that have more power in the food industry. And that's how we first got into stores, retailers, and things like that. So I would say hustling, doing as many um, PR, public relations as possible to get your yourself out there. What about packaging itself? Do you guys think about that a lot? And what what went into the design of your package? Yeah, so in terms of packaging, um, I know a lot of companies, they hire a designer right away to do their package, whether it's a sticker or a label. Um, I actually did it myself, and we just, like, last week uh, ordered new packaging and hired a designer to do it. Um, But for the whole year and a half, it was, you know, we ordered paper bags off of Amazon. Um, we ordered a heat sealer off of Amazon. I made a, a, a sticker. Um, we hand-stickered of, every single bag for yeah. the past two years. Yeah, so it was making the stickers, mm-hmm. having that printed, manually stickering all the bags, um, and then bringing that to the kitchen, putting our chocolate in there and sealing them. So that's how we initially started. And then um, just last week, we submitted an order for uh, printed bags. And we no longer have to do a lot of that manual labor now. Uh, and we had a designer involved in the process. But before, it was it was all us. Okay. Yeah. And how do you test certain designs versus other designs? Um, the way that we went about it was we kind of got feedback. We didn't do a lot of A-B testing, which we learned we probably could have been helpful um but we would take like certain aspects of it bring it out to the public and we'd get feedback saying oh you know this stands out this doesn't like oh this would really help and then we kind of tweak it little by little so we've actually gone through i think over 10 iterations of packaging just from ourselves not with the designer um people probably don't notice it but there's little things that we've added or changed or Mm -hmm. color differences that we thought would make a difference based off of what people have told us can you give any specific examples Um, So at the beginning, we actually had like a window on our packaging that you could see the chocolate through. But because of the summer when we first launched, it started melting and it would look like not appetizing. So then we decided, you know what, like scrap the window. We're just going to do a picture of it because we noticed a lot of other packaging just had a picture. And through that, we got a lot of better feedback. So that's what we've kind of stuck to. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. So we also took a lot of our of our competitors' packaging, and applied what we liked about those into our own designs as well. So we went to the supermarket, you know, grabbed ten packages that we thought looked nice that we liked and that、um, were similar to our product, and then went like, I like where that logo is placed. I like this picture. I like how it says that. I like that label, and we kind of combined it all together to make our our label. So you mentioned instead of A/B testing, you would sort of ask the customer certain questions,、mm-hmm. just get some qualitative feedback. What kind of questions would you be asking them?、Um, literally within the first like three to five seconds of looking at the packaging, what stands out to you, and would you pick it up off the grocery shelves? Because at the end of the day, in our industry, like more often than not, we sell it in grocery stores, and as a consumer, you only glance at a product, and through that first glance, it's like, am I going to pick it up? So that's really what we asked people.、Um, And then, like specific questions of like, oh, what message do you get from it? Like, what kind of product does it look like to you? Can、okay. you tell that our mission is, you know, nutrition and, and environment at the same time? Because、yeah. that was one of our struggles. Was okay, we can make a food product, but we want people to know that we decrease food waste by using imperfect fruit. So, how do we put that onto the label to make sure people know about that? So, that's another thing we tried to work in. And did you ask yourself these questions in your head when you look at competitors' products? Absolutely. Every time we go grocery shopping, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we take like two hours grocery shopping now because we're always looking at other labels and seeing how they place things. You know, it's strategic, really.、Mm-hmm. Colors, shape, everything is like super thought out of.、Um, even the minor, the minor details of where things are placed is because there's a reason behind it. It's okay if you don't have one in mind, but are there any specific examples that come to mind? Of other packaging? Yeah, other packaging that you've studied and that you have like that you remember specific details about why they might have cho- made a specific choice.、Um, one that comes to mind is like when we're trying to figure out what orientation of our bark. Like the picture-wise to put onto our packaging,、um, our biggest competitors are like Prana, Barkthins, and we notice with theirs it's always like stacked so that you could see、um, like a cross-section view of it and also kind of have an idea of the size. And at first we were like, oh, that's like everyone does it. Like we don't want to do the same thing. But as we were talking to our designer, we realized like that there's a reason behind it because you can actually visualize a product in front of you. So, th- like through that, we kind of realized there's a reason why everything kind of looks the same,、uh, despite wanting to stand out a little more. And that's that people have figured something out. Exactly. There's not a science I would call it, but there's definitely something an algorithm behind it. Okay. How do you test taste, and how do you iterate on that? Do you have any、uh, insights that you've figured out on how to do that well? It's just such a subjective thing. Oh,、yeah. absolutely.、Um, I think because it's subjective, that I mean, that's the key. It's different for everyone. So at the beginning, we were actually making a lot of spontaneous decisions off of, okay, we think this tastes good. We think、mm-hmm. this looks good.、Um, but n- not too long after, we realized just because we think. It tastes good or it looks good doesn't necessarily mean that our customers will, because we're not our customer,、um, our target market. Our target market is more women, middle-aged w- working women, possibly with a young family,、um, and so we don't know what they're thinking. We just think 
it looks nice to us. Uh, and so what we learned very quickly was that we need to reach out to a wider customer base and find ways to communicate with these people, which is why we went to farmers markets, demos, events, and things like that, where these type of people would hang, would, would, would be at so that we can talk to them about our, our product and not just solely rely on our own opinions. and opinions. Right. Taste-wise, what are some changes you've made or decisions that have led to changes in taste? Um, mainly feedback from demos. So through, because we do a lot of demos at grocery stores where we sell and people will often say like, oh, like I like this aspect of it. Like I don't like. And one of the biggest it, it's not really taste, but more texture that we've changed mm-hmm. over time is we used to have whole beans in our in our product. And the feedback was always like, my teeth are going to break. Oh. <laughs> and we were so worried that someone was going to sue us. So we we're like, OK, <laughs> we got to change this. And get insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and get insurance. So over time, we like started changing the texture of the beans so that you don't actually taste it or feel it. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest pivots other than like changing it to chocolate that we've had. I think I was in your pitch maybe like two years ago. And after you guys left the room Mm -hmm. and you had left the packages with the judges, everyone took a bite and they were like, oh, that's way too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the main uh, (laughs) feedback we got. Actually, our last judge in the last round even said, you know, we were going to cut you. You know, you weren't going to make it. But, you know, because of who you are and we liked your personality, we liked who you are as co-founders, we put you as, you know, as passing um, in terms of that round. But because we tasted it, eh, it wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't what we thought, yeah. um, but we were very lucky to, for them to have liked, you know, who we are and what mm-hmm. we stand for to be able to pass the second round. Um, but you're absolutely right that at that time, I don't think our recipe was uh, no. very fine tuned at all. And so now people can't taste the they can't taste the beans specifically. No, like you can't even it's not hard anymore. It's more like of a crunch that's good on your teeth okay. <laughs> um, versus like a rock hard. Mm-hmm. It kind of tastes like you know, like a, like nuts, like mm-hmm. almonds or uh, pecans that you would normally find in your chocolate. So we refined that aspect again and again and again until we got that. Um, and in terms of other tastes, we add in different types of fruit. So we have coming up. Well, our original was apple. We have cranberry, and then we have a new flavor coming out um, with peach. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. first one to hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it hush hush. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys sell on a number of different channels. I imagine the primary ones are e-commerce and retail. Mm-hmm. Um, which is working better for you, and why? Uh, for sure, retail. Just because we're able to talk to the customers directly. And because it's such a new product, no one knows what it is. So really us doing demos, talking to the people, saying, here, try our product um, has helped us in terms of sales there. But we know that e-commerce definitely has a whole different side to it that we haven't tapped into that could possibly be a lot bigger for us than retail. But just in terms of like what we know, retail has been really easy for us to step into at first. Okay. And what about the different – so you mentioned for, for retail, the being there in real life really helps, mm-hmm. like as a marketing aspect. You mentioned that Dragon's Den has really helped on the e-commerce side. Uh, yeah, it gave us some spikes, but also just people going to the stores to be like, oh, I saw this product on Dragon's Den really helped. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So sometimes we'll do demos, and they're like, oh, my God, I saw you on TV like last night. 
So that kind of gives them an incentive to come talk to me and then like want to buy the product. Okay. So does this mean that you like, do you tour the different stores that your product is offered in? Yeah, as much as we can, we try to because we're also in quite a few Toronto stores. So we do do a little bit of a back and forth. But yeah, we do try to do like a demo in every store that we're in. Okay. What does the process look like when you go to a retail store and try to convince them to carry your product? Like, imagine someone has no idea how this even works. What's the first step? Like, do you go and ask for the manager, for the owner? What do you even do? Yeah, so in the, that's that's what we did in the beginning days. We would do a cold sale. Um, and so what that entailed was we went in we asked for the store manager if they were here uh, we would always bring samples with us because it's a food product people won't know anything until they taste it so we had food products we have kind of like a spec sheet of uh, what products we carry their barcodes the price um, the, the price that we're selling to the store and what it's normally sold at to customers um, and then we would give our elevator pitch so we have a one minute elevator pitch of who we are what we do uh, where we produce or manufacture Um, we give them the product they can taste it on the spot or they can you know we can get back to them uh, and then it'll go on from there but I would say this the most important thing is after that first meeting you have to follow up like millions of times until you know i mean these people are busy people they own a store you know there's probably a lot of people doing what we do and so being very on point and um diligent diligent on in terms of follow-ups was super important for us so we have a tracker on excel with our initial meeting point and then when was our our after uh, follow-up how many times did we follow up after that what was the result of that follow-up so we have all this track so we know you know in any store, what point in the sales process we're at. Okay. Yeah. Um, wh- have you learned anything about like how, how to make these meetings go well other than the things that you say? Like, Does it matter when you're a student, for example, how you dress when you're coming off to these uh, shop owners who are sometimes maybe older people? Maybe they're a little bit skeptical of someone younger? Dressing wise, not really, because more often than not, it's not a formal meeting. Like we're dropping in, we're probably in our coats if it's in the winter. Okay, it's like a two to five minute chat, and then we're out the door. Like Mm -hmm. they'll say, follow up with me in a week. Okay, so dress code, I wouldn't say. Obviously, don't show up in like sweats and a hoodie, but (laughs) um, not really dress code, no. But definitely like confidence, like presenting yourself as if you well, you do know your own product and knowing that this store is the right fit and really, really presenting yourself in that aspect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could help to say you're a student. I mean, if you're uh, a McGill student and you're pitching to a store nearby McGill, that really helped us too, saying, oh, you know, we're students. We won a prize from the Dobson Cup. Um, It's the new up-and-coming snack would you like to try it? So Mm -hmm. always offering free samples because people like free samples. So you can take it. This is yours. You can share it with your coworkers. Let us know how you like it, how it tastes. um, And we'll we'll go on from there. Um, But sometimes if you're in a more professional setting, you don't have to say you're a student. You can just be, I'm I'm the co-founder, CEO, whichever you like of this, of this uh, snack company. And this is what I make. And this is what I do. Can we hear your one minute pitch and then do like a mini deconstruction? 
Sure. <laughs> it's been a while. No. Uh, okay. So normally, obviously, introduce myself. Hi, my name's Isabel. I'm the co-founder of Remix Snacks, and here's the product. <laughs> so what we make is a healthy dark chocolate bark, and we do that by adding in white navy beans and fruit. So the beans add the nutritional aspects, so more protein, more iron, more fiber, um, and the fruits we use reduce food waste. So instead of putting them into landfills because they're physically imperfect, we use them in our products because they're still equally as nutritious. And then sometimes we have a tagline that we use. It's the snack that you've been looking for. Uh, we don't really do that in stores, but it's nice to add to emails. What are some things that you used to mention that you have found are not that important to mention and also vice versa, things that you maybe didn't mention previously mm-hmm. that you've learned are really important? Um, one major thing that we switched that Jamie mentioned is instead of introducing it as a product with beans at the beginning, we say it's a dark chocolate product with beans. It's like a very minor thing, but the receptivity of it from our customers and the distributors has been like a major difference just because like the moment they hear beans, it just completely turns them off in terms of a snack product versus chocolate. Oh, people like chocolate and it has beans. Okay, that's interesting. I see where you're coming from. Anything to add there? No, and then it's really tasting it. So it's like, okay, I understand that concept. Let's see if it tastes good or it tastes like a chocolate bar because um, it looks good. It sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next the next step would be for them to actually taste the product. And I would say a lot of the times it's after they taste the product where they tell us whether, um, you know, what's the next step if we're going to get in the store or um, if they have another option for us. What's the smallest store you're in and the biggest store you're in? smallest store well we were in a few of like the student run stores in mcgill so i guess those would be smaller okay biggest we are in McEwen grocery in toronto so it's a big like gourmet chain in toronto i, I would say our biggest feat so far was recently um we're oh, in all yeah, 39 <laughs> we're in all 39 nazi list plus and across gyms quebec. across quebec so that's our major um sale right now the one below that was IGA. We're not in all the IGAs, but individual, um, individually owned ones. We have two IGA stores that carry our product, and the Nazi list, I, I would say, yeah, is our biggest one. Be our biggest. How do you tailor your strategies differently, if at all, for small versus larger chains? Uh, definitely case size, because small stores' product isn't going to move as fast. Um, and also just depending on like what the mission and the values of that store are, because, for example, Nutilis health, gyms, people that are active. So pitching it more as like it's a nutrient rich snack, you know, it's it's good for post-workout. Um, it has a good nutrient balance versus if it was like a little gourmet store that sells like wines and cheeses and other gourmet products. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's an artisanal chocolate. It's a high end handmade. So really kind of catering the pitch towards like what are the values and like what does that store kind of stand for okay i would also say the approach that we approach the store so a small store we can easily walk in ask for the store manager and that's how we got into most of our stores um but now that we're reaching into retailers and chains um we have to go through headquarters and that's from a cold email or having someone introduce us or our next step would be also involving distributors into the process so that they can help us with the relationships as well um but in terms of approaching you know a small store 
you don't need to send an email. You can just walk in and follow up and, and have a face stuck to your brand. Whereas someone from Nautilus, you know, they, they don't have power in the store. They have to go through headquarters in order to get your product in any way. So our first point of contact would be headquarters. Was it important for you to get a bunch of different small stores under your belt before approaching a larger store? Absolutely. Just to build credibility, because going to a big store like Natalisa Chain or IGA saying that like you have no retailers, they're going to be like, well, why would we take on your product? Versus by the time we approach these bigger stores, we're like we have 40 to 50 retailers across two cities. So it builds credibility like people are going to buy your product. Okay, this is the last question. Um, Think very broadly. What are some lessons you've learned or mistakes that you've made, things that you've learned the hard way, and what you would do differently if you restarted Remixed tomorrow? So I think because we didn't have a business background, it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. I would say the lessons learned we uh, from it was the fact that we made very spontaneous decisions off of our gut feeling. Like, we feel like doing this or we feel like this would help. We're going to do it. Um, whereas, let's say you're looking at it from a very business standpoint, you would need very logical steps and a rationale behind everything you do and making sure your ROI, uh, return of investment is high enough. So because we didn't come from that background, a lot of the time, um our decisions weren't based off of off a of logical a, explanation right a rational yeah a rational decision um so i would say if we were to do things again um maybe having a decision chart whether it a decision we make would make enough return of investment to invest our time into it um because if not you lose money you lose time you lose effort um and it's just not worth worth it at the end of the day but at the same time because um we are not from a business background i find that we're able to risk things without thinking too much so i have a lot of business friends who are like yeah i'd like to start a business but you know there's too many risks i see too many mountains and for us we don't see any mountains we just think that's the next step we just got got to get over the mountain and then there's another mountain mm-hmm. um so we don't know what's coming, so we just keep going. <laughs> Whereas business students or um, what my friends were telling me was that, you know, they would be stopped right right there because they think, you know, there's a huge mountain over top. I don't want to get there. It's too risky for me. It's so, impossible. So it could go both ways, I say. Okay. Yeah. Do you have anything else? No, that's really it. Like, I don't think there would be anything that we'd really redo specifically because every mistake that we've made has kind of like taught us a really big lesson in terms of whether or not it be a business aspect or just like learning about our product or company itself. But we definitely made mistakes, but we've definitely looked at them as like learning experiences. (laughs) So you mentioned um, in terms of making decisions, you would use some kind of structured way of thinking about things. Can you detail that a bit more? Yeah, so now we have sort of like a chart. We've made a chart where we would see every decision we make, what we would get out of it and what's our... So we always want low effort but high return of investment rather than put... Well, we can put a lot of effort and still have that high investment, um, but it's also priority and in terms of what do you want to invest in in terms of time and effort. So... Um, really seeing, having a goal in mind every time we make a big decision and then seeing once that goal is achieved, what we're getting out of it and is it 
worth what we're putting in. Like what kind of impact is this step going to make? Like is it going to do anything at all or is it going to help us drive forward to like our end, or not end goal, our next goal? Yeah. Has this uh, chart reduced stress for you? Um, I think it's helped us make decisions a lot faster, faster. instead of like kind of thinking over and being like, okay, let's sleep on it. Like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know. It's kind of been like, okay, is it going to help us to this goal? No, cut it because it's not worth our time. It's not worth our money. Let's try something different. It's mainly sales. Is it yeah. going to make the is it going to make our sales go higher? If not, is our revenue going to yeah, increase? Because that's no, the goal. No. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal. Even marketing, we do marketing because we want to do sales. So right. if we do this. Is our social media engagement going to increase because that's going to lead to sales? So it could be indirect like that too. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't contribute to sales, I would say no to the decision. Yeah. Okay, cool. Where can people find out more about Remixed? Where can they buy Remixed? Uh, You can check out our website at remixsnacks.com. All our retailers are there. You can also order online on Amazon through our website. Um, And we're also sold at McGill University, so at the CAFS RV RVC and the BMH. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. And that marks the end of the conversation. To learn more about Remix Snacks, you can go to their website at remixsnacks.ca. That's R-E-M-I-X snacks.ca, where you can order their product online or see all their retail locations. Once again, that is R-E-M-I-X snacks.ca. Hey, it's Mo. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you want easier access to upcoming episodes of Made at McGill, I recommend you subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you use. Also, do you have a wantrepreneur in your life? Maybe your Uncle Bill, who's always talking about his grand business ideas. Consider this. Find one episode in this podcast that you think could give them a slight push. The little nudge that they need to begin their journey as a maker. And have them listen to that episode. And if Uncle Bill ends up turning into the next Bill Gates, who changes the world and along the way becomes a genius billionaire philanthropist, hey, you can take all the credit. Thanks for listening.